Okay, can you hear me? Um, and Neil wanted me to let everybody know there might have been some con confusion about the ladies' class, but there is a ladies' class that Kathy, I think, is teaching in there. So at one point, they were not going to have it, and I think they are. So I just wanted to make that clear. All right, so we are almost finished with our um, study of the period of the judges. And next week's the last class. Uh, they saved the best for last with Landon, I think, next week. So, but um, tonight we're going to talk about the failure of Samuel's sons. And uh, before we get into that, I just want to say, I don't know about you all, but I have, uh, I was a little hesitant whenever we were talking about the period of the judges, especially when I had to get up here and talk, but uh, I've really enjoyed listening to everybody, and uh, it's, it's made me focus on something that I hadn't studied much before. So it's things that I've read through, but not necessarily put in the study time that I needed to, so uh, I appreciate that. All right, um, we'll go ahead and, and get, get going here. We're going to read quite a bit here in the beginning, and then we're going to have some more discussion. I really like discussion, uh, so maybe the last half of the class we will uh, we'll be doing doing more of that now Josh uh, I think read some of this when he talked about Eli maybe two weeks ago but I feel like that I need to read some of this again because in order for us to understand and dive into the failure of Samuel's sons I think we need to kind of see um, who Samuel was the father as a person as a leader and that kind of thing. And so when we're reading some of this, if it's if it's overlapping a little bit, just try to think about Samuel as opposed to maybe Eli that you were talking or talking about a couple weeks ago. So our first text is going to come from 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 1 through 28. And it's pretty lengthy, so I'm going to just read that myself. And uh 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 through 28. And some of these names here I'm not going to pronounce correctly, so just try to overlook that. But Now there was a certain man of Ramathim, Sophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives... The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other, Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. Whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Panina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah... He would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb, so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. 
And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went with her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, had, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a uh, skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore... I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Okay, so I know that was rather lengthy, but um, I think we need to get some background on Samuel and how how this all happened before we can really start to understand the failure of his sons, because we don't have we don't have many verses to go off of when it when it's talking about his sons. So. We needed a little background there. So God blessed her with a child, and then she um, obviously um, wanted him to, to serve the, the Lord the rest of his life. So that's, uh, that's how Samuel comes into the picture. Now, the second uh, verses I want to read here, somebody look up 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. 1 Samuel 2... 18 through 21. Somebody read that for me. Okay, thank you. So Samuel, um, Hannah's only coming to see him about about once a year, and I think that's pretty important. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. And so you can kind of see his his ministry start, I guess, if you will, um, through these uh, these verses. All right. Now let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. <clears throat> And this is kind of another lengthy 
uh, read here, but it's kind of talking about Samuel and how he grows in, in stature and in favor. So chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to, to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as other, at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, Here I am. And he said, What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. <clears throat> Let him do what seems good to him. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel and Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Okay, so <clears throat> we see how um, Samuel basically got to be, if you will, and how his ministry started when he was much younger. And now we can see he's uh, growing in stature, he's growing in favor with the Lord. Um, so based on what we've read so far, what, what do we know about Samuel? What do we know about him maybe as a person, even as a leader so far? Okay. Okay, right. The Lord is using him, that's right. Okay. What else? Anybody else? Okay. Do we can we do we know anything else about him as a uh, um, as just his per, his as a person, his character maybe if you will. Yeah, and I, that's what I was going to say. Um, 
I mean, God spoke to him directly. I, I don't know. I only found that eight people in the whole entire Bible God spoke to directly. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, some other things that that I came across that were just very interesting about Samuel, and I think we need to consider um, before we move on and talk about his uh, his sons. But you know, he he was, I guess, you know, what I would call a miracle child. God, I mean, she couldn't have children. God is the reason that uh, that she had had Samuel. The reason Hannah had Samuel. Uh, also. Uh, I found that uh, the name Samuel means name of God or God has heard in, in Hebrew. <clears throat> um, and so when you start looking at, at those things, you can kind of see really, I guess, how important of a person that he was. And then another thing that I ran across too, somebody look up First Samuel 28, verse 7, and it might be, it might be verses 7 through 9. Let's see. 1 Samuel 28. Yeah, just somebody somebody start reading there. 1 Samuel 28, verse 7, and then and I'll stop you there when we get to where we need to, to end. All right, that's good. Um, I'm, I'm sure I've read over this before, but I've never really put much thought in it. So um, I think this is also the only time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that there was someone called up from the dead. Um, I don't know if you want to call it a ghost or a spirit or whatever, but uh, so there's some pretty significant things that we can uh, just fit into Samuel that, that maybe have never happened to somebody else that we read about in the Bible. So I thought that was very, very interesting. Um, Anything else about Samuel before we move on, just about him as a person, him as a leader, or something interesting before we get into our next uh, reading here? Okay. 1 Samuel chapter 8. So my original lesson only had six verses, and I'm talking to some other people that are up here doing this, and they're like, well, I've got five chapters. So... I'm like, I'm going to have to give Neil and Hiram a run for their money to stretch out this, these six verses here. But uh, anyway, so now we're going to start getting into Samuel's sons, and we'll see how that unfolds. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. Does anybody else want to read that? It's pretty lengthy reading. Hiram, you've got it, you said? <laughs> Okay, thanks, Hiram. Um, so this, just in the first few verses of chapter 8, that's all we've got when it comes to uh, Samuel's sons. Now, they're mentioned in First Chronicles, and we might bring that up here in just a, just a, a little bit. But um, So that's why I wanted to focus more on Samuel and who he was, how he came to be, uh, to where we could figure out you know, what happened as far as the failures of, of his sons. So some of this we're going to talk about tonight may be just pure speculation, but I think that no matter where we're at in our lives, no matter how old we are, whether we've got children or no children, um, whether our kids are out of the home, I think we can all learn something um, f- from this and learn from each other. So 
What do you think went wrong here? What do you think? I mean, we've seen, obviously, throughout this whole period that um, where you may have success and then failure and success and failure, that kind of thing. But when we're talking about Samuel specifically, what do you think went wrong? What do you think happened in terms of the failure? Why why, why do you think his sons turned to bribes and that sort of thing? What can we gather from, from our reading so far? The, the, the sons, self-centered, love of money. Yeah, money was one on my list here that may have something to do with it because out of the, what's it, three things they mentioned, it says uh, dishonest gain, bribes, perverted justice. That, that does play into uh, to money maybe. I, I totally agree. Um, we see that in, a, in our own lives. We can do everything we think, you know, we're doing right, we're being faithful, and yet our, our children, or you know, maybe not all of them, but some of them, they do have free will. And um, you know, they're ultimately turning their backs on God. Not, you know, that's who they're ultimately turning their backs on. And all we can do as, as parents is do, do the best we can. You know, but um, there, there's free will involved. What else? Go ahead. And you can see that too, because Samuel's warning them about a king. Like, here's what you're going to get. But what they want, they wanted just what everybody else had, or you know what they thought was right, not what what God thought was right. But any anything else? That's a good point, and and that was one on my list here. So from my studies, um, he was not probably present very much for his sons. His his work would have probably been more regional and. Um, so how much was he available? How much time did he spend with his kids? You know, he went to be with Eli when he was just, just had been weaned. So, and then you got Hannah coming up there, what, once a year making him something. You know, I mean, how much we need, you know, we need uh, time with our, with our kids. So the person that had the most influence on him, I think, would be Eli. Uh, and you saw what happened to his sons. So... Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, influence from just others that, that they're around, and influence from from Eli. Um, let me see what else I had here that uh, I wanted to bring up. Yep. Mhm. Balance. It's and it's hard. Um, we, I mean, we see it. Um, I mean, we see it in our in our own lives, or you've seen people who are very, very successful with whatever you know, a business, or they you know they've grown this company to uh, you know billion dollar company, and then but you know you look at their family and their families because that's where they've spent their time. They put their time in in other places, and so I think that's a great point. And it it can be tough to uh, to find that balance, but we've got to uh, we've got to prioritize and make sure we're there for our their kids totally different ge- geographically yep yep one thing uh, that kind of s- struck me is is whenever let's see here uh, it, it says verse 6 but the thing displeased Samuel when they said give us a king to judge us so Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel um and I'm just purely speculating here, but to me, 
I think he was more displeased because they were questioning him, not necessarily maybe that his sons were doing this or that. Uh, he was displeased because they, they were ready for a king and they were ready to do something different. And I feel like that in his position, could pride be in the way here? Could he be, I mean, I think pride has something to do with it because he doesn't mention anything about his sons. They've just told him, hey, your sons are doing this, this, and this. But, he, but the thing that displeased him is, is uh, when they said, give us a king to judge. That is pure speculation, but um, it's easy to be to, uh, to have a lot of pride when you're in a position like that. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, he, it's, they're never mentioned again, which I think is kind of ironic. I mean, I, I don't know. If somebody said that about my kids, I'd be, I wouldn't be worried about, you know, well, the thing that displeased me is to give us a king. I'd be worried about the thing that displeased me was you told, my, told me my children were taking bribes this, you know. And, uh, from, respect to him. Okay, and one more thing I want to point out before we move on. And uh, every time you prepare for class, you always think you don't have enough, and you know you're never, you know, we're going to be done 15 minutes early. But then you get into it, and you need 15 more minutes. But anyway, um, one other thing that that I thought about was what about the family dynamic back then? You know, to me, things were different then on how a family was structured, maybe than what we see right now, and. Uh, uh, Elkanah, he he had, uh, I mean, he had two wives, whether that's got anything to do with it or not. But in today's world, we would think that that would be a major factor in how someone's kids turned out is if they had, you know, multiple parents. Yeah. So things were just, they were different back then. That's that. You know, that's a study for another time. But I think the family dynamic was was huge in this as well. And there, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it said in one earlier verses where kind of, yeah, correct. Okay. Um, so as far as trying to learn something from this, what what can we do as as parents? I want to talk about. Uh, you know, real life stuff right here. What can we do as parents from, from, from keeping this, you know, from happening? Uh, and what can we do maybe as a church to help us in this regard? Yeah, that's exactly right. And we've talked about this before. Um, is you know, how do we get our kids to have their own faith? I mean, that's something that the elders have been wanting to try and uh, nurture here. For quite some time, on how you know we don't we don't want our kids to just have our you know what doing this because mom and daddy's doing it. You know we want them to have their their own faith. Yeah, Hiram. Stay with him. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a great point. Um, just a, a few statistics that I ran across, and uh, I'm not saying this is pertaining to the the Church of Christ here, um, but it says that we're losing 59% of our young people. One study found that when both parents were faithful, 93% of their children remained faithful. When one, when it's just one parent, it drops to 73%. And then when 
neither parent were, you know, they were attending church, but they weren't active in church. Neither of the parents, it drops to 53%. And then when uh, neither parent uh, were active or they just attended every now and then, that even drops to like 6%. And um, I don't know what the source is and where I got this, but I thought that was interesting. And then uh, another uh, thing that I found and uh, some of you may have seen this too, but it said 75% of kids left the church from ages 18 to 29. And, but, but it says why 25% stayed connected with Christ from the ages of 18 to 29. And number one was they ate dinner together five of seven nights a week. And um, we see that Samuel obviously had a disconnect just because of his work. So, uh, you know, I think that that, that uh, rings true. Number two, they served with their families in a ministry. And um, I think we do a pretty good job of that here, here at Lehman, but uh, try to get your kids involved in, uh, in, a, in a ministry. No matter what age, even if they're small, they can still help out and do certain things or, or go along with you. Um, Number three, entrusted with responsibility in ministry at an early age. <clears throat> Number four, had one spiritual experience in the home during the week. And I think that's really important. I know I struggled to try and make time for this myself. Um, now I struggle because I've got kids that are old and I've got kids that are young and like you're pulled different directions. But to be intentional about finding time to, you know, have a Devo, have a Bible study, have a prayer, whatever it may be, even if it's just praying before dinner. That goes that goes a long way. Number five, and this is a really, really uh, good one that I'd never thought about, had at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. And so, you know, some of you in here that may have kids that are grown that don't even live here. I mean, you, your influence on uh, children here at, at Lehman can be huge. Just because you're not a parent to them doesn't mean anything because uh, obviously they're, they're still watching and you can make an impact on their lives. All right, any, anything else that we can try to do to... To keep that from, from from happening, I've wrote down a whole list here, but uh, we're gonna we're not gonna have enough time. Just some things that I thought about was um, um, study with your children, prayer. I think is huge. Sometimes I forget to, you know, I'm praying for other stuff, but I need to to remember to pray for my my children. Um, lead by example. And uh, then I, I, you know, if we're having if we're having trouble with uh, with parenting or whatever, don't be you know, let's don't be afraid to talk to an elder, talk to a preacher, talk to our friends, or ask for help. And then the biggest one that's helped me out is to talk to people who have been there and done that, and and have been successful. Uh, and you know, Samuel probably didn't do that, but I mean, who did he have to talk to that would be you know? Eli is probably not a good, good example. So you can see the uh, the disconnect there. And then 
we've got five minutes left, and I wanted to bring this up uh, because I think this is important too. How do we handle a situation? How do we handle a situation if we have children who do fall away or who, you know, aren't living their lives for God or, you know, maybe they started out in the church and then, you know, they were they were baptized, they were Christians, and then and then they're doing something different with their lives. Uh, how do we handle that situation? That's probably the toughest of all. But yeah, the the number one thing on my list was never stop loving them and to, and to show them love because I feel like that's what Jesus would do. He did that to 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 people that were were sinning, which is no different than than our own children. But it's hard for us sometimes because we want to be, you know, you do this, this, and then, you know, uh, I don't know if that how, how, how far that goes. But uh, what else do we do in, in these situations? I've got, I've got prayer again. Continue to pray, pray, pray. Uh, and again, uh, the top of my list here was to talk to others who are going through that situation or maybe they've had that situation happen. I mean, just because... A, a child falls away doesn't mean that they can't can't come back, and you, you you've got to you've got to realize that. So talking with somebody somebody else that's been through that, my, you can't. Yeah, uh, and that was my next question. You know, what are some Bible? Do we have any Bible examples? That that was one came to mind. But can y'all think of anything else that that uh, would be an example in the Bible that would go along with what we're talking about? That's the only one I came up with myself real fast, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, right. Um, so I, I did mention First Chronicles, and I want to point this out before the bell rings. Uh, Samuel's sons are mentioned again. Let's see... First Chronicles 6.28. Let me look at that real quick. First Chronicles 6.28. So it says Samuel, uh, the sons of Samuel were Joel, the firstborn, and Abijah. Then it goes on to says, Now these are the men whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord. After the ark came to rest, they were ministering with music before the dwelling place of the tabernacle. Of meeting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So um, it does appear, based on this is limited information, but it does appear that that Samuel's grandsons could have been serving the Lord. Obviously, they were, you know, I guess uh, ministering to, to with David or, or whatever. So I thought that was kind of neat that they might have skipped a generation and then started again. So thank you for your attention and y'all have a happy Thanksgiving.